God bless you, everyone. Great to be with you once again. Uh, what a beautiful song we just sang. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the day is characterized by questions and uncertainty, but that is an absolute, unwavering, unchanging truth. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever else is up for grabs, that can be, it should be, a settled matter in your life and mine. Accepting Jesus Christ brings with it total forgiveness of sins. You stand, even in these uncertain days, as a forgiven one, and there's nothing better. Well, we're in a difficult day, and this day has led to this question, and it's the one which we will address tonight. Are we living in the last days? Perhaps you have wondered about that. Many are. If you're looking for an answer to this question, you're certainly not alone. The Lord's followers have found themselves asking this question really through the centuries. Even as far back as 2,000 years ago, the Lord's very close and intimate followers, <coughs> excuse me, his disciples also asked this very, very question. In fact, on one occasion, they were walking with the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine what that was like? They were walking, they were talking. On this occasion, they were strolling around the precincts of the temple. It was quite magnificent. It was marble and the sun was shining on it and there was gold. It was quite a holy place. And the disciples commented to the Lord about how magnificent and beautiful it was. And then the Lord said something, I'm sure, which took them by surprise. He said, uh, you know, uh, not one stone will be left of, of the temple precincts. Not one stone will be left upon another. Well, boy, that got their attention. And so they responded to the Lord with uh, follow-up questions. So imagine this. They're leaving the temple precincts. It was in an elevated area in Jerusalem. And they depart and now they're going eastward, downhill, to cross a valley called the Kidron Valley, now uphill on the Mount of Olives. And it was there that they asked further questions of the Lord, and he graciously paused to give them an answer. In fact, it's contained in what we refer to now as the Olivet Discourse. That was the Lord's teaching about future things on the Mount of Olives, hence its name, the Olivet Discourse. So while there, according to Matthew 24, uh, they said, tell us, this is what they said to the Lord, tell us, when will these things, he was speaking to them about the destruction of the temple and other things, they asked, it's a logical question, tell us when these things will happen. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So you see, there is interest 
interested as we are in knowing whether we're living in the last days. And here is the Lord's response in verse 4. This is how he begins the Olivet Discourse. He said, see to it that no one misleads you. That's what he said. Why did he do that? Well, because uh, they are prone as we are. They're prone to come to false conclusions about the circumstances and events of the day. And so before the Lord got more specific, he issues this warning. You can misread the circumstances of the day, and you may even be prone to being misled by those who are coming to false conclusions about what's happening in the day. And so the Lord's first statement uh, is in the direction of not being misled. Uh, I think this is behind it. They wanted to know, Lord, are we living in the last days? You will soon see, I think, that his answer is yes and no. Yes, you are living, we are living in the last days, but no, we are probably not living in the last days of the last days. And so now what the Lord begins to do is to tell them the normative circumstances that characterize the last days, though not necessarily the last days of the last days. So I've used this phrase last days now about 15 times. It has a technical meaning. Listen, the Lord Jesus came the first time to suffer, to die. He was buried, then rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That was his first advent. You and I look forward, hopefully, expectantly, to his second advent, when he comes again. In between his first advent and his second, we can call that the inter-advent period. And that period is called the last days from the first coming of the Lord Jesus to the second coming. That is referred to as the last days. Sometimes it's called the church age. So for 2,000 years, we have lived in the last days, though not in the last days of the last days. Be careful about coming to a quick and a false conclusion about that. Here's what you can conclude from the circumstances in our days. They confirm that we're living in the last days. And so what the Lord is going to do now in verse 5 of Matthew 24 is begin to share with his disciples then and now some of the characteristics of this lengthy period known as the last days. Here's one. Many will come in my name. That doesn't necessarily literally mean that they're going to claim the name of Jesus. It actually means many will come um, in my place. They will try to persuade you they're the answer. Uh, they are powerful. They, they can save you. They are the deliverer. In the last days, beginning from the Lord's first coming, ending in his second coming, during that period of 2,000 years, one of the characteristics will be, many will come in my name. What will they say? I am the Christ. I am the one you should depend on and look for. Sometimes politicians do this, sometimes others. 
And the Lord says, don't get nervous. This is a characteristic of the last days. Many will come in my name and they'll say, I'm the Christ. And they will, here we go again, mislead many. And so the Lord is essentially saying, be wise about this. This is a characteristic, not necessarily of the end of the end. <laughs> Maybe it's the beginning of the end. And so the Lord goes on now to give a further characteristic of the last days. It's this. You will be hearing of wars. So this is another false teachers, one of the uh, uh, false messiahs, one of the characteristics of this lengthy period known as the last days or the church age. Here's a second characteristic. You'll be hearing of wars, not just of wars, even rumors of wars. What do you do? Well, see to it that you're not frightened for those things must take place. It's inevitable. Don't be afraid of it, says the Lord. Don't be unduly shocked and surprised. These things must take place. But look, that is not yet the end. So you can see how we could be misled. Uh, in the world today, you can hardly put your finger on any place on the map and find a place at peace. There's hostility and military buildup all over the world. It's a little unnerving. And one could say, the end is in sight. And the Lord is essentially saying, take it easy. Relax. Don't be shocked, surprised. Don't be frightened. These things simply have to happen. However, don't misread them. These things are not necessarily yet the end. These are signs of the last days, but not necessarily the last part of the last days. Well, there's more. In Matthew 24, verse 7, the Lord says this, nation will rise against nation. We've seen this, of course, in World War I and World War II, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famine and earthquakes, all kinds of circumstances. Luke, in the parallel account, even mentions in these last days there will be plagues, maybe like COVID. And so what characterizes this lengthy period, technically known as the last days, are things like wars and conflict and famine and earthquake and plagues. And so the Lord is, again, warning his disciples, don't be misled by all this. You cannot deduce from all of these events that this is the end. You can conclude, on the other hand, from these events that we are living in the last days, yet not necessarily the last days of the last days. For instance, in the 1300s, I'll bet you know about this, there was a terrible plague called the Black Plague or the Black Death. As a result of it, half of the population, think about it, of Europe. I mean, COVID, it's taking its toll, but it pales in comparison to this. Half of the population of Europe perished over an extended 10-year period. Uh, I'm sure Christians living in that day were coming to the conclusion 
This is the end of it all. We are living in the last days of the last days, but they, if they came to that conclusion, would be wrong, wouldn't they? I mean, 700 years later, you and I are still here. So then, are these events, wars and famine and COVID and social upheaval, are these events to simply be ignored? No. They tell us something, uh, but be careful about what they tell us. Verse 8 tells us specifically what we are to conclude from all this stuff. But all these things are merely, merely the beginning of birth pangs. Beginning. So I've never been uh, with child. I've never been pregnant. And, uh, and nor have, have I ever had a desire to be. And, uh, uh, but I know enough about the process to know when a lady is expecting, you get these things called contractions. I don't think they're pleasant. So imagine an expectant mom has her first contraction. Most are wise enough to know the first contraction does not a signal that the baby is soon to arrive. It's the first contraction. It's painful, it's disturbing, but it's only the beginning of birth pangs. And then what happens in the process is that the contractions become a little more severe and closer together. And so the Lord is using this phrase, which we all could relate to, when you see all this stuff a social upheaval, atmospheric disorganization, wars and rumors of war, even plagues and diseases and stuff like COVID. When you see all those, don't ignore them, but don't come to the wrong conclusion. They verify you're living in the last days, but not necessarily the last days of the last days. What you uh, are can accurately conclude is that they're beginning of birth pangs. And so they're not necessarily the end of days, but they're certainly indicators that we are in the last days. Now, even though I have um, sort of disputed the notion uh, advanced by some sensationalists that the end is near, I dispute that. Uh, even though I've done that, I don't want you to think for one minute the time in which we live isn't unique, uh, different really than any other time in human history. It is unique, and that should not be dismissed. Now, to develop that point, I am borrowing from the good thinking and insights of a man named Dr. John Weldon, who wants to persuade us, I think rightly, that though we are not necessarily in the last days of the last days, we're certainly living in a most unique period in human history. So let me, borrowing from Dr. Weldon's thoughts, illustrate the point. Uh, folks, Scripture, as you know, speaks of the rise of a very great power to the north of Israel, great and hostile to Israel. Now, that maybe didn't make much sense to people until modern day. That power, many think, could very well be Russia. To the north, Moscow was almost directly north of Israel, and 
even though I think the Russian people are to be prayed for and are wonderful people, the intent of the Russian government is not friendly either towards the United States nor towards Israel. Scripture also speaks of the revival of the ancient Roman Empire. Many people think that's happening in the form of the European Union, the United States of Europe, if you will. That um, political entity didn't exist until relatively recent days. You see, these points are to bolster up the conclusion that though we can't come to fast conclusions about whether we're in the end, still we can discern we're in a very unique historical time. Here's some more evidence to support that. In our day, we are seeing a proliferation in technology and global communications, the likes of which no people in the history of humankind have experienced. This kind of one world network where we are all connected technologically and through channels of communication, can you see how that makes very real and possible the broadcasting of the events we read about in the book of Revelation? They have to somehow be seen and observed by the world community. Well, in past generations, that would be just science fiction to imagine that possibility, but today, it's very much within our reach. What happens in any corner of the world, we can see on the news right here. That kind of technological capacity did not exist in prior generations. Uh, furthermore, speaking of technology, the technology exists today for what we refer to, what is referred to as the mark of the beast. Uh, in other words, there'll come a time when without the mark of the beast, people will not be able to function economically. You need some kind of mark maybe a chip embedded in your wrist or something in order to conduct your affairs, economic and business and so on. Once again, that whole idea would have seemed impossible and outlandish in prior generations, but it's not at all far-fetched today. We have the technology for it. In fact, we're very quickly on the way to a cashless society. I had a repairman come to our home the other day and I wanted to pay him in cash and he said his company will not allow him to receive it, only checks or credit cards. So I had to run back into the house, cash, who would have thunk it that cash has less value than a card, a digital electronic kind of a thing. So can you see what we read about in the last book, about the last days, is uh, very likely technologically to happen. Here's another indication that we are living in a very unique day. In order for the end of days to really come upon us, something called the abomination of desolation has to take place in Jerusalem in a restored temple. Well, there is no temple in Jerusalem now. Uh, therefore, I can tell you for sure, we're not in the last days of the last days. 
the temple has to be reconstructed in Jerusalem. And I need to tell you this, there's already quite a substantial movement to accomplish that. There's a group in Israel already fashioning, refashioning, according to biblical directives, the furnishings in the temple and even the garments that a restored priesthood would have to wear in order to reinstitute sacrifices. Well, how is a temple going to re be rebuilt on the original site of the temple in Jerusalem, which now houses a very holy site, uh, the Dome of the Rock, to, to Muslim people? Well, I don't know how all that's going to happen, except the Bible speaks of someone called the Antichrist, who somehow manages to persuade warring parties in the Middle East that he's the peacemaker. Israel will sign a peace covenant with him. Israel will lay down her arms, and then before long, this personage, very charismatic person, uh, who will see to the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, he will demand that the Jewish people worship him in that temple. That's called the abomination of desolation. Uh, Daniel speaks about it during a period of time in the end called the time of Jacob's trouble. Have you been reading the news? Uh, peace covenant has been signed by the United Arab, Arab Emirates in Israel. This is really striking. Now, two other Arab nations have already signed peace accords with Israel. Jordan did in 1994, Egypt even before. But those are very limited and partial. You still can't fly if you're an Israeli back and forth into Egypt or Jordan. There is no really uh, close exchange of information and data. But the UAE, United Arab Emirates, a Muslim, a Sunni Muslim uh, country, has signed a pretty expansive peace accord with Israel. They're already working together on... Uh, approaches to the coronavirus. Uh, there's uh, some thinking that they will conduct military exercise together. You see, they're both concerned about Iran and its increasing influence in the Middle East. Iran is also a Muslim country, but those are Shiite Muslims. And the Shiite Muslims and the Sunni Muslims uh, have tremendous animosity and contempt for one another. And so it appears there's a dis distribution or a, a rearrangement of power in the Middle East in our very midst. Uh, the UAE is a Sunni Muslim country now entering into alliance with Israel, and it looks like that's perhaps the precursor for other Sunni Muslim countries, maybe like Bahrain, maybe even Saudi Arabia, to maybe even Sudan in North Africa, to also make a peace deal with Israel Holy Toledo, things are changing, folks, by the moment. All this, you see, is a foreshadowing of an ultimate peace covenant to make peace in the Middle East, to be ushered in by this mysterious character, the Antichrist, who will see to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Folks, that is already underway in our day, but it has not been in prior days. Therefore... Well, I can tell you this, I don't think this is the end, but we're sure closer to it than any other generation that has come before us. 
What about this? Do you notice the increasing persecution of Christians worldwide? Now, Christians have been persecuted throughout the last days from the first advent of Christ until his second advent. That will be the case. But I think Christian persecution is really on the upswing. Just some samples. A wonderful Christian missionary, father of four, was recently brutally murdered in India by Maoists. 1,202 Nigerian Christians have been killed in the first six months of 2020 this year alone. China recently mandated Christians to take down crosses and any image of this Jesus and instead worship communist leaders instead of God. This is happening, folks, in our day. And so the increase in Christian persecution, in my opinion, has a kind of unique flavor we've never quite seen to this extent before. Furthermore, the book of Revelation, do you know about this, teaches about a great army from the east, that is to say from the east of Israel, consisting of 200 million soldiers who are one day going to march in conquest of Israel. Uh, up until recent days, there has been no such army on earth that can amass 200 million soldiers, but China, now a superpower with perhaps the world's second largest economy, is able to assemble that many soldiers today. That has not been the case until this day. Here's another indicator that we are living in a very unique day. Global evangelism is predicted prior to the return of Christ. How could it be affected? Folks, do you know presently, four billion of the Earth's residents have access to a cell phone. Just that alone could reach four billion. Just your goofy little cell phone alone, the technology behind it, could make contact with four billion people on Earth and share the gospel with them let alone all other means of technological communication. And so worldwide evangelism is very much within our reach in this generation when it has not been to this extent in any prior generation. How about this one? Are you aware of the increasing anti-Christian tendencies in the good old U.S. of A.? I mean, it has not been quite like this. We've not seen this before in our own country. In fact, there was a time when there was general acceptance of Christian ethics, uh, moral imperatives in the Christian value system in our society, even by non-believers. Well, folks, that has really changed almost overnight. Let me illustrate. Uh, the city council of Somerville, Massachusetts, recently legally recognized something called polyamory as being legitimate. What that means is you can have a group of three or more people. They can now register with the city and thus receive the same legal rights accorded to any married couple. Folks, that is a very severe departure from the one man being joined to one woman idea of marriage, which has been up until now embraced even by non-believers. 
Netflix, you know about Netflix? They've just recently introduced a series in which they've introduced a transgender character in a kid's show called Babysitter's Club. I mean, it used to be that stuff would not find its way onto the airwaves, but now it's pretty commonplace. Illinois has recently adopted a law uh, requiring that LGBT history lessons requiring lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual history requiring LGBT history be taught in all public schools in the state of Illinois. Now, folks, that is a radical departure from the Judeo-Christian mooring points of the United States of America. How about this one? A recent study reveals a 60% spike in class time in public schools devoted to evolution in the last 12 years. Not the creation account by no means. 60% increase in evolution being taught in public schools. So can you see this is a unique day in this negative sense, a departure from a fundamental Christian value system? And also this one, among those claiming to be Christians, we're seeing an increasing falling away. Now, I said professing to be Christians. I do not believe someone truly regenerated can lose their salvation. One of the marks of the authenticity of uh, the Savior's work in that person's life is the, permanent of the gift, permanence of the gift of salvation. And so, uh, however, those claiming to be Christians, but in my opinion, aren't really, a number of those are really apostatizing and abandoning it, even the profession of their faith. For instance, a very well-known uh, author, Christian author of Christian children's books, has recently announced he is gay and has therefore divorced his wife. Um, we're seeing more of this. The former lead singer of a pretty well-known Christian band recently shocked the world by indicating he um, is no longer a believer. I point that out because one of the signs of the end times is this increasing kind of apostasy by those only professing to know Christ. So I'll share with you this, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And folks, we're really seeing an increase in that sort of thing. How about this one? This is the first time in human history. See, another evidence of the fact that though we may not be in the last days of the last days, we're in unique days. For the first time in human history, Russia and Iran are in a military alliance, for crying out loud. And both are seeking alliances with Muslim nations um, in conformity with the pattern of things revealed in Ezekiel chapter 38. Read it. We've never seen this kind of thing before. And then this one. Have you heard about Israel? It was reestablished as a state in 1948. And so for the first time in 2,500 years, Israel is once again a fully sovereign nation. 
that didn't take place until 1948, our day. In fact, it says in Ezekiel 36, God speaks, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And folks, that is happening, happening in an increasing way. I'll tell you why. Uh, Anti-Semitism is really picking up steam. Here we go again around the world and in particular in Europe. As a result, many of the Jews living in places like Germany and France who haven't forgotten the Holocaust, uh, they're packing up and leaving while the, they can still get out. And so the immigrants to Israel, people, Jews, leaving their lands to go to the Holy Land is increasing in unprecedented rates, even during this time of the outbreak of the coronavirus. And so you can see how what God said in Ezekiel 36, I'm going to bring you back into your own land from all the countries of the world. You can see how that is really, really increasingly taking place even in our day. Well, my point in all of this is to tell you that though we don't know for sure whether we're living in the last days of the last days, we can know for sure this is really a unique time and it is bringing us closer, I think, to the return of the Lord Jesus than at any other time. So what are we supposed to do? How about this? The Lord says he's still on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples, therefore, be on the alert. That's what we're supposed to do. Be on the alert. Why? You don't know which day your Lord is coming. There you have it. Be ready. Don't waste your money on books written by people purporting to know the specific time of the Lord's return. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't read that stuff. The Lord clearly says, uh, be ready. Be on the alert. You don't know which day the Lord is coming. Now, many people looking to the coronavirus, a worldwide pandemic, I think, are being misled and coming to the wrong conclusion about what it signifies with regard to the future. Don't read too much into what it signifies with regard to the future. Instead, I think you should pay attention to what it signifies in the present. I'll tell you what it's, the coronavirus is showing us in the present. It's showing us that we are frail. It's showing us that our hope put in anyone but Jesus Christ is misplaced hope. It's showing us that uh, apart from a personal relationship with the omnipotent creator of the universe, uh, we're in a heap of trouble. It's showing us that undue dependence on government, on pastors, on politicians, on anybody is hope really misplaced and that hope needs to be placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the coronavirus is showing us just how vulnerable we are and how all of our institutions in which we have put our confidence is really a house of cards and that a little goofy little virus can bring the world to its needs. Ah, it's showing us that's the best place for us to be, on our knees, looking up to transcendent deity and calling upon him for mercy. And I want to close now uh, by sharing with you in light of all that we've shared, uh, what we should be doing as we wait for the Lord's return. And more specifically, what we shouldn't be doing. Here's what we shouldn't be doing. Don't panic. 
What is taking us by surprise is not taking the Lord by surprise. He sees the end from the beginning. He's transcendent deity. He's high and lifted up. He's seated on the throne. From that vantage point, he sees everything coming before it comes. Don't panic. Our father neither slumbers nor sleeps. Relax. He's in control. Secondly, don't be deceived. So we're vulnerable, folks. We're vulnerable to crazy books and goofy articles and sensationalistic movies. Come on, let's not try to go beyond what has been offered to us in Scripture. Be on the alert. Be ready for the Lord's return. But of that day or hour, nobody knows. Don't be deceived. And don't be discouraged. It's possible. Don't be discouraged. Run to Jesus when you're despondent when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling a little overwhelmed, run to Jesus and just rehearse in your own mind who you're talking to. Remember his attributes. Remember his transcendence. Remember his omnipotence. Remember his mercy. Remember his grace. Remember his compassion. Remember that he's a timeless being. He's not bound by the present. He can see into the future. Run to Jesus. Uh, run to your Savior, be ushered into the presence of Almighty God, do not be discouraged, and don't be over-invested in passing things. That's the deal. So I have a sprinkler system. I really love it. You push a button, boy, it does all the watering for you. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's great till it breaks down, so mine did. So I called a fella, a sprinkler system expert, to come and do his handiwork on it, and man, he did. And Boom, those sprinkler heads pop up, and I just sit there and watch the lawn. Every bit of it is being covered, and it's being watered, and all the rest, I, I really, really love it. And then I thought to myself, it doesn't really matter, does it, that much? Even my cool new sprinkler system, it, it, it doesn't last for eternity. You know what really matters? the soul of the guy who installed it. So after I stopped worshiping my new sprinkler system, I went over to the guy who was working on installing it, and I engaged him in conversation about the Lord Jesus and eternity. He did not accept the Lord, but he allowed me to pray with him. Folks, don't be over-invested in passing sprinkler systems. All that matters for eternity are people. Don't forget our mission as great commission people, which leads me to this final don't. Don't be silent. Now's the time for you and I to get out of our shell and to take advantage of the manifold opportunities the Lord Jesus gives us every day to embrace people in a loving way so as to share with them the gospel message. This is the power of God for salvation. That's the only reason we're still here. God still is in the saving business, and the means by which he seeks to do it is through ordinary people like you or I. We've got plenty of things to do, and we should not be silent. In this day where voices are just speaking loudly and unashamedly about untruth, we are the repository of truth. Don't be ashamed to share the gospel message. Tell them about Jesus. Are you just getting started doing this? 
Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Nobody knows more about that than you. Tell someone your story. Listen, Sunday night at the cross, we had the great privilege of seeing 26 people publicly identify with Christ in baptism, and some of those had just accepted the Lord that very Sunday morning, I think as a result of our wonderful Pastor Matt's great great message. Can you see the Lord Jesus is still using the gospel message through ordinary people to usher people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. I hope you're not robbing yourself of the blessing of sharing that message with those around you. Lord Jesus, what time is it? <laughs> it's time to be alert it's time to be encouraged. It's time to be more bold about sharing truth about you than ever before. It is not time to live in a cave, to be discouraged, to be in a panic. It's surely not time to compute future time. It's simply time to be ready for your perhaps soon return. Thank you, oh God, for saving us not just from sin, but from purposelessness. We have a purpose. We are ambassadors for Christ. Help us, especially in this tumultuous day, to fulfill our calling and vocation and to represent you more boldly and consistently than ever before. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.